Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. I need to catch us up into, into what this summer's been about, just so that we all get a reboot. It's, it's just like, uh, you know, when you watch a when you binge watch a series on TV or that, and they do the what happened previously. So this is a little bit like that to, to just jog your memory and catch you into, because we're talking about uh, really growing in the knowledge and grace of Jesus. I think most people think that grace is a commodity that we receive at salvation and God's grace comes to us, but actually the word's clear to us that we can grow in knowledge and in grace. Grace is an amazing uh, commodity, and if you will, it is the functionality of the kingdom and all of his kingdom principles is grace. Um, probably if you, if you use the same analogy, relationships are the currency that God uses. And so those, those work together and harness us together to be able to understand what God is and how we actually grow. And I don't know how you were taught to grow. Most of my Christian Christianity that I've had to deconstruct in the past 10, 12 years was I grew by sinning less and being good more. If I could conquer those one or two things that were just those, you know, those nagging sins that were talked about, and I could get a little bit better at being sweet to my wife or my children, I, I was growing. That's not really growing, is it? It's not growing in the knowledge of God. And God wants us, he wants you relationally to know him. And he went, because you can't, why? Why is that so important to God? Because you can't know yourself. You don't know who you are. If you don't know who you are, you don't know who others are. So God wants to reveal to you who he believes you are. Who he knows that you are. When you received Jesus, your life changed. So God never, ever, ever, ever looks at you without looking through his son. That's an analogous way to look at it. But when he sees you, let's use Carrie as an example this morning. Uh, and it, it's a funny term, but when God, the father, looks at Carrie, he sees Carrie Jesus. He sees his son and, and her spirit and the Son are intertwined through the power of the Holy Spirit. They're one spirit. So God doesn't ever see you. I think that when we get disappointed in where we're not growing, we are looking at ourselves outside of Christ. I used to think the word Christ was a religious term. That sounded religious to me growing up. And that carried through my young adult years and even into my middle adult years. And it just seemed like such a formal term. And having grown up in the hippie era, you know, we wanted Jesus to be cool, you know. Uh, Jesus was just all right with me. And so I wanted to focus on that. And so if you were really a Christian, you used 
the personal name, which was Jesus, and then when you were praying a blessing on your food or trying to impress a pastor or an elder in the church, then you used the word Christ. Or you would say, is anybody, did anybody else go through that? I went, maybe it's just me and I'm weird. But anyway, that seemed like such a term. And now the term, the idea of what Christ means and who he is, because Paul emphatically taught about being in Christ over and over and over again. And it wasn't a religious term to him. As a matter of fact, that was the term and the form that broke all the religious forms he grew up with of who God was and where he was and how you could never approach him. Um, you had to get somebody else to do it for you and you had to do these steps and you better make sure it's okay or you're going to get zapped. And so when he realized, when Jesus comes to him, uh, you know, on, on the road to Damascus and changes his life and comes and lives inside of him, the, the guy went bonkers. But bonkers in a good way. It turned his life right side up. Not upside down, right side up. He was upside down before. And now he was such a changed man. It's, it's so incredible that he actually has changed his first name. The reason he took on the name Paul is he didn't want to associate with Saul. Not Saul the person, Saul the man that he was. Because for him, he, that's why he said, that man died. And I was born into a new life, and I'm different. It's glorious. It's phenomenal. And so he talked about being in Christ all the time. And getting to know what, what God was like. Peter, being the at this point in time the head of the church, at least the church as we knew in Jerusalem, he writes this, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We all say amen to that. So the reason it is so important is this. Your heart doesn't mature without knowing Jesus and grace. An immature heart uh, I guess the best way to put it, an immature heart is an untrusting heart. It is hard to find the place to trust God when your heart's immature in the knowledge of God. When you gain knowledge of God, day by day, week by week, month by month, occurrence by occurrence, you start seeing the handiwork of God and you start learning to trust. And you can do the same thing with grace. Grace is an amazing, grace saved the world. It's an amazing concept. So in, in looking at the benefits, this is what all of us on this journey of wanting to know what God, this, I love this quote from Graham Cook. God is the most consistent person you will ever deal with. He will never change in his stance towards you. I'm going to give you the second half of it. He's also perplexing and is a paradox because you don't get to know what he's going to do next. 
even outside of the so the whatever that the prophetic voices and all that and God said um, your closeness to God may not always let you know what God's going to do with you next <laughs> now some people love that some people are terrified of it so how do you get over the terrified part of it you learn to trust you grow in your knowledge and grace of God that even when he asked me to do something that I never thought he would ask me to do have you ever done that have you ever uh, stepped out and said something to someone because you thought that the Lord was nudging you to do it and you were like oh God oh God oh God oh God oh God you know and all it was was to go up to tell the woman in McDonald's you're going to be okay and your kids are going to be okay and you're going oh God she'll think I'm crazy everybody will watch me they might report me to the police what are they going to do but you take the risk and you go um hey can I say something to you and you do that and the woman starts crying and breaks down right there and goes, oh, I've been praying for 10 days asking God if he's there. Most of us just want to know that God's there. Christians want to know that God's there. Non-Christians, guess what they're looking for? They need God to be there because God's bigger than us. And even a child can understand that. And so you do that, and then you go, oh, why didn't I do that? I can remember one time years ago at this little church that we went to in Phoenix. Well, it started little. Um, and it's called Faith Family Church. And the pastor is good. It was a good church, charismatic days and everything. And uh, one of the keyboard players, who was the wife of a dear friend of ours that lived down the street from us, got diagnosed with cancer. And they made the announcement about it, and would everybody pray for her? And I got a word of knowledge that morning from the Lord. He says, I'm going to heal her. I, for, for the life of me. I couldn't work up the courage to go tell her because I was like, cancer? Well, I mean, cancer still, like it's always the big C. It's like, a... and so they had the church pray for her and everything and, and go through that. And at the end of the service, I can't remember who it was, I, but somebody else spoke up and said, the, no, it was actually two weeks later Then we were praying for her again at church and somebody came up and said, the Lord says he's going to heal you. They just had the courage to do that. And, every, you know, and everybody cheered and clapped. Well, she went for the doctor's appointment the next time. They found nothing. Nothing. No cancer. Nothing. So what did I learn out of that? I could have saved that poor woman two weeks of anxiety. I wasn't bad or wrong. But don't you know that when she didn't have that secure word from God to trust her. Now you can look at that in a negative way and go, well, you should have. When are you going to learn to trust God? Or I could take it into me and say, I need to learn to trust your voice more. Uh, I, wanna, I want you to speak clearly to me. It's an act of trusting God and knowing God. 
Does it always come that clearly in a word or something? No, sometimes it's a nuance of a thing of you just know that you know. God wants you to live that way and he does surprising things. Why wouldn't he heal every cancer? I don't know. I don't know. But I've seen him heal some. And it makes me trust him and not mistrust him. It's all caught in the purposes of God. There are benefits that we gain in our life in growing in knowledge and grace. Huge benefits. These are a couple of the verses over it. Paul said to the Colossian church, for this reason we also, since we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Whew. That was Paul's prayer for a whole citywide church. That's amazing. He didn't say, there's a select few of you that are going to get words of knowledge. No, he prayed for this whole church at at, in a city and said this is what God's desire is for you and he says that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work and increasing what the knowledge of God all of these things that God wants to do in our lives and the way he wants us to grow is so that we increase in our knowledge. And here's what's incredible. When you increase in your knowledge of God, and I'm not talking about knowing the word or the Bible or the studies that you do, knowing God, getting in relationship with him, give and take, you and God, spending time together. When that occurs, it affects everybody it affects a whole city. Second Peter 1-2. This is such, again, these are one of these key verses. And we'll, we'll look at it. I love Second Peter, by the way. Uh, it says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. As his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Do you know, you got to stop right here. Have you been called by God? Why? Because of glory and virtue. God didn't call you because you were more select or more special. God called you out of his own glory. Do you ever think about that? You know, we, we always want to, you know, we sing it. And it's not wrong to sing. It's not even wrong to look at it this way. But have you ever thought that maybe God thinks you're glorious? No. You ever looked in the mirror and go, oh, Lloyd, you're glorious. <laughs> no, actually, I've never said I'm glorious. Try it. I can invite you to try it. It's a little, it's a little shocking at first. Because we don't want to believe what God believes. 
We want to look at our life and we want to say, I'm not really worthy, so give me a crumb. And God goes, you're glorious, I give you my kingdom. How are we glorious? His son lives in us. You're never glorious on your own, so don't approach him on your own. Never approach God from a completely human standpoint. That's how, because Christ lives in us. <laughs> Brennan Manning used to say it this way. God doesn't love you as you should be. God loves you as you are. Why? Because Christ is in you. The what of glory. Hope of glory. We just talked last week. Hope doesn't disappoint. Because it is there in that hope, the love of God is poured out in our hearts. I can look in a mirror and say, Lloyd, you're glorious because the love of God lives in me. It's the only reason. And if I know that, I can trust that it's a true statement of me. You follow, are you tracking with me? This is scary good news. Why is it scary? If I said that to other people, they would reject me. They might. Or they might hear you and they get saved. Never know what God's going to do. To even use that person. There's something in my seeing myself in the knowledge of God, the way God sees me, that causes me to grow. And I grow in grace and understanding of the knowledge of God. Let's go back to this. So as his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. We'll look at virtue in a little bit. Well, we may not get to it today. By which have been given to what? Us. Exceedingly great and precious promises. Anytime we are trying to relate to God outside of the exceedingly precious promises of the knowledge of him and his grace, we are going to fail. That through these you may be what? Of what? Of the divine nature. What is the divine nature? Jesus. Thank you. We don't want to partake. Now, this is, kind of, you know, so I'm, I'm, pushing on you a little bit and stepping on your toes. I don't mean it as a put down or anything, but so many Christians come to the table and don't eat. They believe all this. Oh, I, I believe that's true. But we don't partake of the food. We say, oh, it must be true for Brenda. She's such a saint. Shocking holy saint. I, I know, I live with her. Boy, am I going to get a good lunch. Oh, that's not why I'm doing it. We can believe it about somebody else and not about us. God won't make you eat from his table. But his table doesn't change and you're always invited. Many don't even want to sit at the table. Don't feel worthy to sit at the table. That's not the knowledge of God. 
that's not partaking of the divine nature. What would happen if the church really believed this and really would partake of it? What would happen with you? Just a question this morning. How would your life change if you really believed all the things that the Word says about you? I was taught my whole life that the Bible was there so that I could find God. And God says, I put the Bible there so you can know you're found by me. I found you. The pearl of great price parable, you were the pearl of great price, not him. You were the treasure in the field that was hidden that he sold everything to purchase. You didn't sell nothing. You didn't have nothing. He said, I gave my son everything I had that I might have you. And we're designed to partake of that. To eat at his table. We'll sing the song, but we won't believe the theology. And when you do, well, people misunderstand you. Yes. Yes, I lost two-thirds of the church population that I had. I had one, they got mad at me, some of them. I don't care. Because it can't change what God planted in grace and knowledge. It cannot Take its place, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I don't care what your words say. Now, when you were in secret, did they hurt? Of course, but it hurt relationally. It can't hurt the spirit of God that's in me because I am imbibing of his divine nature. Now, here's the thing. That does not change. That's what Graham Cook is saying. If God deals with you at salvation through Jesus, what will he continue to do in your life? Same thing. John Wimber said it years ago. He said, the way on is the way in. If you came in by faith, then you're going to do what? Continue by faith. It's the only way we can do it. And you were called by glory and virtue to become a divine partaker of the nature of God. Instead of always wrestling with, you have two natures inside you. You have a sin nature and you have a Christ nature. And by golly, sin sure seems to win out a whole lot. That's baloney. He died once for sin. Sin's crushed. And I don't have two natures. I have a Christ nature that I get to partake of. My nature was changed. You do not have that working in you anymore. You might have temptations to sin through your flesh, but there is not a war inside of you. As long as you have the war inside of you, you'll fight the war inside of you. When you decide that you don't have that war, a whole lot of things change. Just temptation never come to you. Oh yeah, it comes, but it's a lot easier to say no. Sinning's hard. If you believe you have two natures, sinning's easy. Because what? It's a part of me. If you believe that you have a Christ nature, that you've partaken of his divine nature, sinning is very hard because now you have to plot things out and go, huh, I know that doesn't look like Jesus, but 
And now you're going, but, 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 but. Sound like a machine gun. And that's hard work. Pretending to be something you're not is hard work. I don't pretend to be a Christian. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. That means this. Christianity is not you trying to prove God to a dying world. It's not. Christianity is living in the divine nature that God gave me. And guess what? I'm a very dangerous man because I don't have anything left to prove. I'm not trying to prove Jesus to you. I'm inviting you to who he is. I don't have to prove to you that it's, show me! Well, my life's changed. My life's changed. It means you sin less? Yeah, probably a whole lot less. But I don't think about it that much. You're not thinking about, no, I don't want to sin manage. I didn't do a very good job with it. Kerry Rowe will tell you, he's not a good manager. And I was a terrible manager over sin. And truth be told, so are you. So why are you doing sin management? He died that you might live to God. He died to and for sin. Whose sin? Yours and mine and everybody else's. That the life you live, you now live to God. So when you start living to God and you start practicing that, partaking of the divine nature comes easy. Hearing his voice becomes a more natural thing instead of a, was that God? It's, oh, okay. Okay. Is this making sense? Is this? So we've been given great and precious promises that we be partakers of the divine name, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Do you see yourself as an escapee? Are you living on the lamb waiting for the guards to come take you away? I'm, I'm free. <laughs> they can't put me back in prison. I'm free. I choose Christ. I, I'm, I'm free. I, I live in that freedom. I'm not worried that I'm going to fall. When you're living in a place of you're scared you're going to fall and mess up, you're probably going to notice all your mess ups. Well, is this a trick and you just don't notice that you're still messing up? No, it's that my chooser's different now. I have a divine nature. I like being clean. I, I like it. I like not being hindered and captured by sin. I like it. I don't like lust. Lust weighs on my thoughts. Lust weighs on my heart and my emotion. Lust always tempts you to do something that hurts somebody else. Lust is a horrendous thing. It is. We always think lust is just this internal thing that's in me. No, lust wants you to harm someone else. It's one of the ways to break it. Does Jesus want to harm anybody? No. Who lives in you? Jesus. Do you want to harm anybody? 
Well, we're going to learn about the economy of God. If you are, you're not living in God's economy. You're living in a flesh economy. And so you're not having partaken of the divine nature. You're not living securely. So this is what it does for us. And close with this. We didn't get past the where we were. Um, it's this. When I just take this passage from Second Peter and look where it starts, grace and peace be what? Multiplied. Key word, and I'm not talking about home groups. <laughs> or church. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And it's this. With that, when it's multiplied to me, I live securely. I understand God and life. I have grace and peace and joy 100% of the time. No, I'm growing in knowledge and grace. But it's way better than 8% of the time that I used to have. I have authority and discernment and I have a life rich in the purposes of God. I think I'm still going to do some wonderful things over the next 10 years. You think you're getting 10 more? Maybe. I'm going to live like I am. Here's the other thing. The two human drives. I have intimacy and I have impact. I have intimacy with God and I have impact because of that. What do you want? I guarantee you someplace underneath it all, it's intimacy and impact. If you want to say influence instead of impact, if impact's too big a word or too harsh a word. Would you like to influence the person that you love the most with the knowledge of God? You have it through partaking of the divine nature. I want to learn how to really love my kids well. Partake of the divine nature. Jesus loves them way better than you could. Way bigger. How much do you love your child? Those of you who have children. How much do you love your child? Roar it. You know, I've never seen a mother. Roaring mother love, you know. It's the, the lioness. God wants to multiply things into your life. You get to do the simplicity of adding. He does the complex thing of multiplying. It's how his economy works and we'll look at it and what it means to have it multiplied in our lives. But this morning, I want you to take away this and I actually want you to think about it this week and I'm going to be praying for you that you can't get away from it. And Holy Spirit likes to answer my prayers. That he would just get into your little mind space every morning and remind you that you are called by virtue and glory. That means when he says your name, he's thinking glorious thoughts, not bad thoughts. When he calls your name, he sees in a virtuous way. That's how he sees me. Oh God, look at me. So many people scared to say this. Oh God, come here, look right at me. 
We want to add the verses, and if there be any wicked way in me, there's not. He's going to look right at you. And his virtue is going to go into your heart. You get to partake of it. Let, let me know how you think today. First, let me know how you think about me, and then let me know how you think about and start filling in the blank who you're close to. He wants that to change us. He wants you to partake of himself. He wants you to understand that there's a divine nature inside of you that has way overruled the flesh. The flesh is not the conquering hero. Christ is. The flesh did not conquer death. Christ did. The flesh did not put an end to sin. Christ did. You can't beat sin in the flesh. Only Christ can. And you can partake of his nature. Please receive this this week. I hope it nags you. I hope I put a bug in your ear. And you can't get away from it. And you start seeing yourself differently. So Lord, I pray that blessing on everybody that heard. I pray it upon myself that I would know you and receive from you. And I would be everything that you have for me. That there would be no shortchanging. I would get every penny's worth out of your economy. That I could receive it into my life. That you measure back bigger and better than we ever thought. That you say you measure back to us. That it's pressed down, shaken, totally filled till it's overflowing the, the measuring cup. And that's how you measure me. Me. It's how you see me. Let me see me the way you see me. In Jesus' name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, saints.